0: to Acts chapter 12, Acts chapter 12. I'm going to read verses 1 through 25, the whole chapter, and I invite you to stand out of respect for God's word as you arrive there on page 920 of your pew Bible. About that time, Herod, the king, laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And before and behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now, when day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now, Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they, have, they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put out on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, The voice of a god and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down, because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms. And breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. We've been learning in the book of Acts of incredible growth in the church, incredible times of joy and excitement. We saw in Antioch last week how uh, the Christian uh, Christians that were planted there were multiplying, and they were sharing the gospel, and the church was expanding dramatically. Even in that city that was known as the Las Vegas of the ancient world, within twenty years it had become a headquarters of world missions. So. Amazing things happening in Antioch. But isn't it always the case? Isn't it often the case that when things are going great, when we see growth, when we see excitement, we know deep within us that there's some disconcerting or troubling thing on the horizon that is meant to shake us by the evil one. Haven't you found that to be the case that when things are going great, you know, deep within you. that there's trials and temptations on the horizon. And that's what happens here. The church which is growing is shaken by this dark and troubling uh, time in which King Herod Agrippa rains devastation upon the people. But the note that Acts wants us to hear loud and clear is that our God is powerful. He is in fact far more powerful than we ever imagined. And he is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever imagine to ask him to do. And that is the resounding note in the book of Acts as the mission to Judea in Samaria comes to a close. Now, we're going to take a pause from the book of Acts for the summer, but we're going to be back to it in the fall. It's only going to be about a month and a half that we're going to pause But for that month and a half that you are waiting to get back into the book of Acts and you're preparing in your hearts to be back in that portion of God's word, I think it's very fitting that the note resounding in our ears uh, from the scriptures themselves are this. The power of God, the power of God in your life and the power of God that we seek in our prayers. Is there anything better that we could meditate on? Uh, as we take a, a short break from the book of Acts. I don't think so. Well, we're going to see that message, that that the message imprinted upon us through three scenes that are knitted together in this text. First, we, we begin with the prison cell, but then we move from a prison cell to the prayer meeting, and then from the prayer meeting to the podium. The prison cell, the prayer meeting, and the podium. Well, we begin with the prison cell, where Peter is chained, and is under this high level of intense security. How did he get there? How how did this happen? Well, King uh, Herod Agrippa has set his sights on attacking the church. Uh, He's the grandson of Herod the Great. So if you remember back to the book of Luke and the Herod described in there, uh, particularly the Herod uh, at the beginning of Jesus's life, uh, that's Herod the Great, or so-called the Great. Uh, and, and he was that maniacal king who wanted to uh, capture the Messiah and put an end to him. Well, his grandson isn't much better off. Herod Agrippa has his whole life learned nothing but political maneuvering and murder. In fact, his own dad was murdered by his grandpa for political maneuvering. And so here you have this guy, Herod Agrippa. His whole life is just filled with, how can I get the political edge? Uh, Who do I have to take out in order to get there? And he's the guy that's in charge. And he's the guy that, in his attempts to please the Jewish leaders, sets his sights on killing leaders of the church. And at first, he succeeds. It's disturbing. James, dead. This is the James who, along with Peter and John, was up on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. That James. And in just one moment, a tyrant snuffs out his life with a sword. You can imagine how that news impacted the church. Especially John, who, who we were told is so close to James. It's just like, how could this happen? Lord, what's going on? Lord, what do these headlines mean? And then Herod Agrippa says, okay, that, that got me some uh, favor with the Jewish people. And so I'm going to do it again. And he captures Peter and he holds him in prison until the time when he needs that kind of favor again. And he's going to bring him out and say, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to kill him like I did with James? So this is what's happening. He has his his prized enemy um, under lock and key. In fact, Peter is chained uh, two guards, one on his left, one in on his right. Each of his hands is, is, is chained, as it were, to a guard. And then outside of that prison cell, there are two other guards. Uh, I mean, it's incredible. You need that, that many guards for one guy? They must, you know, he must be a prized possession <laughs> to have uh, under control upon um, a, 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 a Herod's Uh, hand that was privileged as it were and so here you have james dead peter in prison and herod uh, wrecking havoc on the church the church has to feel completely hopeless and helpless maybe not hopeless but helpless we know that they're not hopeless because they pray but we know that they feel helpless because they pray Isn't this how we feel in the face of powerful darkness around us? When we hear in, uh, yes, in our own country, but especially foreign lands, how tyrants, dictators have set their eyes against the church and set their hearts against God and against his kingdom. Isn't this how we feel when when we see uh, not a culture promoting life and dignity, but a culture promoting uh, death around us? And we feel completely helpless. We say, well, what do I do? Just give me something to do. And yet we feel almost like we're under lock and key. We feel like the, the powers that hold sway over this present age, um, the, the dark forces of the evil one are able to do so very much. We say, what do I do? What do we do? But notice what Peter is doing in the prison cell. It's instructive for us. He's sleeping. He's sleeping. Now, I'm not saying you you all should be sleeping right now, um, but I am saying that Peter's posture presents to us a kind of hope, a confidence in the God he serves. He can sleep in prison. He can sleep, though he knows that very possibly he is going to be asked to be martyred for his faith like James was. And he can sleep. Why? Because he knows who God is and he knows how powerful God is. We too, you're about to see here, can rest easy even when We are under lock and key by those who set their hearts against the Lord and his anointing. Because look at what God does. Look at his power demonstrated in what he does. He unleashes his power by releasing Peter from prison. And the scene is one that just draws us in, isn't it? Don't you just want to read that again? Here's Peter asleep. And the next thing you know, there's an angel of the Lord that's appeared. And he's poking Peter. saying, hey, get up. Get up. And then Peter is so drowsy. It's almost funny, isn't it? He gets up and he's like, what? And then the angel's like, get your clothes on and put your sandals on. Come on. And Peter's okay. And he's, he's getting dressed. And then the chains just fa- fall right off. And then he like he's starting to follow this angel through the corridor. But he, he doesn't even think he's really awake. He thinks it's a dream. It kind of reminds me of my toddler when I wake him up. And he's just in, you know, he's totally zoned out. And I'm like, get your clothes on. Come on, follow. come on, let's go down the steps. It's like He's not really awake yet. Maybe some of you have been in that state of mind before, right? Peter is passive, passive Peter. And he's being led along by God. And it's like God is showing through his half awake uh, state that he's going to do it all. He's going to get it all done for Peter. And it's a kind of comical way of showing it how the gates are just opening and here's Peter half awake, thinks he's dreaming and he's just kind of walking along following this angel. It's actually a picture of what the Christian life is like. We are passive. But God is powerful. Isn't that how we were first given life, new life from the dead? We were asleep, dead, as it were under lock and key, by our sin nature, unable to help ourselves. And what did God do? Uh, the dungeon flamed with light, and he said, get up and walk. And our chains fell off. The chains of our sin nature uh, were, were, fell off us, and we were sent forth by the enlivening power of the Holy Spirit to walk after Christ. And this is what continues to happen throughout our Christian life. Passive, depending entirely upon God to open the doors, to open the prison doors, to let us out into the light. That's the posture of the Christian life. Following the angel of the Lord, leading us on toward Christ and towards discipleship. I love how it's summarized in verse 17. Peter says this. If I could tag a text here, if I could say, hey, remember this. This is, this is one to highlight. It would be verse 17. He said, the Lord had brought him out of the prison. The Lord had brought him out of the prison. God did it all. Showing his power. And so the Lord opened the prison door. But we get a window into how and why God did this and how it intersects with our prayers because we move from the the prison cell to the prayer meeting. And uh, remember in verse 5 what we saw. In verse 5, we were told that Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. So here's the church, helpless but not hopeless, and, and, and their way of expressing this is by praying. And it's this beautiful thing that Peter finds his way to this place where the prayer meeting is taking place. And we get this glimpse, friends, that what is actually happening is that God is intervening because the church is praying. Isn't that beautiful? Look at look at how their prayer is described. First, they're praying together. Time and time again, we've seen in the book of Luke the gospel of Luke and then in the book of Acts that that Luke, the physician, loves to talk about prayer and he loves to talk about corporate prayer. He just doesn't let you forget it. He doesn't let you forget what's right up here. Given continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so we're talking about prayer, yes, individually, but also together, the corporate prayer, the together prayer. That's what the church is doing in Mary's house while Peter is in prison. Praying together. So this is your your regular reminder, friends, that praying together regularly here in the congregational prayer and also when you have opportunity in in, in your home groups and when you meet together in your homes, that is the, the, the most important thing that we do as those who seek to lay a hold of the power of God as his church together that's the most important thing we do together worship god and pray together so they're praying together public prayer meeting they're also praying specifically in verse five we're told they pray for him and so here's the church as it intervenes and they're not just praying in general lord uh would you would you uh do something amazing they're saying lord would you do something for peter Lord, whether that be that he follows the path of James and under your sovereign leading, under your providential care, even death takes him to be with you. May you keep him faithful to the end. But Lord, if it be your will, free him from this prison. They're praying boldly for Peter. That he remain faithful. And that if it be the will of the Lord, that he be freed. And that the gospel advance because of this. These are the kinds of things that we ought to be praying for when we get together. Yes, the specific request we have, but especially the request that the gospel would be freed and unchained to go forth powerfully. And they're praying earnestly. We're told in verse five again that they prayed earnestly for this matter. Uh, the, The word here says that they're straining. There's a kind of straining involved. And the only other place this word is used with reference to prayer is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane where he's praying so hard that he's sweating and he's, he's, he's saying, Lord, intervene. Lord, your will be done. That's how we ought to be praying. The church ought to take the picture, the the pattern of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we ought to pray and not stop praying. It it, it seems here that they're up late at night. Um, In fact, we we see the scene is pretty late at night and, and, and they're still praying at Mary's house. What is happening with Peter is so desperate that it calls for an extended, earnest season of prayer. Now, I wonder if we pray like that. I wonder if we ought to be pushed by this picture. I think think we should. I think we ought to, as a church. To be pressed to pray together, to pray specifically, and to pray earnestly, and to be more faithful in this, friends. But what's interesting is, even though we see this beautiful picture of this prayer meeting, and they have so much that's going right, they still don't understand the power of their own prayers. Did you notice that? Here comes Peter. He's finally woken up. And he realizes what's happened, and he goes to the house and he starts knocking. Hey, it's me, it's Peter. Let me in. God, I'm out of prison. Let me in. Now, this little servant girl named Rhoda, she goes up to the door and she, she hears Peter's voice. She goes, "I know, I know that that's that's Peter," and she goes running into the prayer meeting. Guys, Peter's here. He's out the door. Like Rhoda, come on, Peter's in prison. We're praying for Peter. You're, you're out of your mind. Come on, join the prayer meeting. Sit down. Peter keeps knocking. It's him. I'm telling you, it's him. It can't be Peter. It must be his guardian angel or something. It must be uh, his, his, his angel come to send a message. It can't be Peter. Why is it that they're so surprised that their own prayers are working? And that in the very act of prayer, God is is fulfilling exactly what they're asking for. Why is it that they're so surprised? Why is it that we're so surprised, friends, when God answers our prayers, when he hears us? Why do we so easily forget what prayers can do? I think deep within us, there's still this struggle to really believe that God is as powerful as he is, that he can do immeasurably more than we can ask Somewhere deep within us, there's this struggle to really understand the power of prayer. So this is this opportunity for us to recalibrate our expectations and to expect God to do great things and and to expect that in the very act of prayer that he would be fulfilling what we would be requesting, that we can believe that God can do that and will often do that very thing. Do you believe in the power of prayer? Do you believe in the power of the God that we pray to? He's the God that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. He's he's the God who unlocked prison doors and and brought Peter out past uh, legions of guards. That's the God that we pray to. So we move from the prison cell to the prayer meeting. And finally, to the podium, because the last thing that this text wants us to see is the power of God as it's on display at that grand meeting where Herod gets up to speak uh, to the people of Tyre and Sidon. So it's interesting. First, you read it and you say, how's this connected? But it's actually deeply connected because notice the text begins and ends with a reference to Herod. God has not forgotten what Herod was is doing to his people. God is not oblivious to the threats and the attacks of tyrants against his church. He sees it, he hears his people's prayers, and he intervenes. All in his good timing and under his sovereign control. So here's Herod and you know, he's disappointed about what happened with Peter. He's disappointed that his little pawn escaped. And but he goes on as kings do and he makes his way uh, up to Tyre and Sidon and he, he continues in the north doing what uh, he was doing. And it's in this place where he sits on his throne and, 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 and stands up to make this speech. And uh, the historian, Jewish historian Josephus confirms much of this very specific thing. Josephus says that on that day, Herod was wearing this new kind of robe that was designed to glimmer in the sun. And so when the people see him and the robe is just glimmering and the sun is bouncing off his robe, sparkling, and they hear his voice and his powerful oration, they start to credit him as being even more than human. And and as we hear right here in the text, the voice of a man and not a God. Listen to Herod speak. Look at Herod. And it's in that moment that Herod must have had this moment of intense pride where he likes what he hears. It's in that very moment that God strikes him. And Josephus paints a fuller picture. Uh, He helps us to understand a bit more of what probably happened here. That it was in that moment that that some intense stomach pain, some intestinal pain struck Herod. Perhaps it even was some sort of uh, a worm inside his body. And so Herod is is struck at that point and he heals over and within days he dies in his palace. In the very moment when he's boasting against God, it's in that very moment in which God says, I hear that. You're not who you think you are. I'm going to show it to you. And what happens as Herod keels over in his palace temple? What happens as they prepare uh, for his funeral and play taps for him? Well, we hear at the end of chapter 12 something amazing. Verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. Herod dies and the word increases see, friends, tyrants are permitted to rampage for a time, but they are always under God's powerful control. There, there always comes a time where they are humbled in their pride, like Nebuchadnezzar, who was made to eat grass, like, like a, a goat in the field. Uh, we saw this in Daniel, didn't we? That as soon as empires rise and set themselves up against God, as soon as they get so great, that's the moment where God says, I'm going to humble you. And he does it with Herod here, just as we saw time and time again in Daniel. So that's your first encouragement. Make no mistake about it, friends. When people pridefully set themselves up against God, when they pridefully oppose his church, there's a humbling on its way. And we can can count on that. You can count on a humbling about to take place for those who are promoting lawlessness in our land and the land beyond ours You also can count on this, that God's word will go forth in power. Notice at the beginning of this chapter what we saw. We saw James dead, Peter in prison, and lawless Herod rampaging. What do we see here as this chapter closes? Herod dead, Peter free. And God's powerful word spreading. That's what God does. That's the power of the God that we confess and lay a hold of this morning. And so if God is that powerful, even over the powerful tyrants of this land, if he is far more powerful than them, then we ought to pray. Let's go right now to pray to him, asking him to open prison doors so that the gospel goes forth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there are people in prison all over this world. There are ministers that are faithful to the gospel who are in prison in countries in the far east. And tyrants are happy about that, Lord. Lord, may you by your great power Open those prison doors and however you see fit to do it. Would you release the word of the gospel from those prison cells so that it goes forth? And Lord, would you not uh, let these tyrants remain prideful, but may you bring them to a humbling end? Lord, we pray that that end would be them embracing the gospel and that they would end their tyranny in that way. But Lord, however you see fit, even if it being... Be, uh, be bringing their lawlessness to an end through death. We pray that you would stop them and the gospel would have the final word. For Lord, you had the final word in this passage and you have the final word even now. And we wait for hearing that final word when Jesus comes back and every king bows before him and every knee lowers itself uh, and prays to his name. And so we ask Lord that we would be fervent in prayer as we wait for his quick return. We pray this in Jesus' name.